Hello, history enthusiasts. Welcome to the Rural Experience in America Community Civics Through Historical Inquiry podcast. The National Council for History Education, a proud member of the Library of Congress's Teaching with Primary Sources Consortium, is pleased to present to you a series of podcasts spotlighting the public history projects created by teachers, community partners, and students from all over the United States. My name is Talia, and today I'll be talking to one of the 11 educators who participated in the first year of this project. Listen in as we learn more about how they integrated public history into their classrooms. Let's welcome to the podcast, Joe Brewer. My name is Joe Brewer. I am a social science history guy out of Cuba, Illinois. Uh, I teach, man, we, we teach it all in rural America, right? So I'm the one guy in the department. I teach history, uh, uh, U.S. history, modern world history class, current events, civics, uh, gosh, psychology, sociology. Um, I have two stepsons, Cole and Ryder, and my wife, Jess, is the art teacher in Cuba. So we kind of have a cool existence where we get in the same car and we all go to the same building for the whole day. Uh, that wouldn't work for everybody, but it's I, I dig it. Can you please tell us a little bit about your project and oral history of Forgottonia? Yeah, so, so grateful for this opportunity to uh, be here and do this project. We kind of put our, our project in about well, sort of four quick steps here I'll go over. The first one is uh, we just took some students and prompted curiosity about our local history. Uh, one of the first things I did is have them explore our high school yearbooks. We've got a really good old collection of high school yearbooks. And uh, like a lot of schools, especially small schools, we are surrounded in our hallways by all kinds of class photos and pictures and just the history that we don't often pay attention to. So one of the first things I did was use that QFT technique that's endorsed by the uh, LOC and definitely the NCHE. Look at me with these acronyms today. <laughs> uh, but we did that process with just some things that prompted our curiosity. Um, from there, I gathered their questions and we took a little fieldwork visit to our community partners out here in uh, Macomb, Illinois at the Western Illinois University Archives. And then we made a visit to the Western Illinois Museum. It's one of the larger museums in our region. Um, but we got put in contact with some actual professionals that helped the students identify some sources that could help answer their questions. Uh, the, st the third step is students from there had identified someone that they could interview to help answer their questions a little bit more. And we're very much engaged in that stage still. We got just a couple more students finishing up some interviews. And then the last part, we're going to share share this. We have a website that, that we do called the Forgottonia uh, Project. And so we'll have all these as podcast episodes. Each of my students are building podcast episodes of of their, their topic. And then uh, we're going to work with Sue Scott about, oh, some even can, thinking about some non-traditional ways that people practice public history. Um, she is a wonderful, wonderful community partner out of the Western Illinois Museum. So that's a little bit about our project. Your project isn't through a, a class. This is an extracurricular project. Yeah. Yeah. So these students engaging in this are doing it just completely out of interest. That was one of the questions I remember wrestling with some other teachers about is just how do you situate work like this? Because it, it can be so non-traditional. Being a small school like we are, I really didn't want to isolate some of our folks that I know are outside my current. They're not enrolled in a current class of mine, but they love history. So Positioning it this way was just kind of one idea to uh, be more inclusive with all kinds of folks in the school that wanted to do this work and really make sure you get people that 
um, are, have an aptitude for history, are curious about history, uh, that are driven to see a project through. So that's why we did it that way. You mentioned before that you were using some library LOC uh, techniques um, while creating this project. And I was wondering if you use any Library of Congress primary sources or any other primary sources while creating this. I know you mentioned the yearbooks at your school. What else have you been using? Well, to, to be honest with you, that's the whole beauty of harnessing the power of a rural community, right? Uh, I think the best thing for our particular project is uh, getting in touch with some of the folks from the archives at, at Western Illinois University and um, lear learning from their point how they use uh, Library of Congress materials, how they access uh, old, you know, things like newspaper clippings, but but also having someone help curate these materials for students too. Um, and that was one of the more powerful things of this experience is have, have kids experience sort of that source, right? That to the source of materials that can answer your question. So to be honest with you, it's really less about what I did and it's more about who I connected my kids with because that's an area I, I need a lot of help with too. Great, can you talk a little bit more about your community partner and how you work together? Yeah, man, these, these community partners were popping up all over the place for me. So my formal listed one was Sue Scott and she is a, a highly distinguished public historian, works out of the Western uh, Illinois Museum, and you have to check them out. Just give it a Google. She is doing all kinds of thinking about more, what I'll just describe as non-traditional ways to share history. So one of the favorite experiences was just having her be introduced to my students, my students um, just kind of hearing her talk about different ideas. And, you know, you don't have to just display something in a case and, and have people kind of come and read little captions, just explore creative unique ways that they could share what they're learning uh, that was outstanding and then a shout out to uh, over at the WIU archives in Macomb there a lady named Kathy Nichols who's the current director of the archives and then uh, the former director named John Hallwis who is uh, our, our region's most prolific author he's written 30 books about local history so it's kind of if there's someone to ask those are the folks to ask that can help you uh, connect with some of the sources to address the questions that you have. Fantastic. Um, yeah. And can you talk a little bit about the student's role in this project? Well, I know I said from the beginning to my my students uh, to, to follow your curiosity. And I was so pleased that that was backed up in numerous ways through some of the folks that my uh, students were just introducing, whether that's um, um, some folks that are they're conducting oral history interviews with um, our, our folks like Sue and Kathy and John. Um, just follow your curiosity was, I, I kind of told them, let's let this whole thing start from there. We wanted them to have some experience with materials, so we asked them to curate some materials. A student, for instance, want to make about 200 copies of some sources that they were able to find at the archives. And, uh, you know, we had conversations about you, you got to prioritize your sources, right? What are the best sources that you can use to answer the questions you want so you don't have information overload? And that's a messy skill, right? That's mm -hmm. still a messy skill. I can't say we perfected it, but we, we were introduced to a cool opportunity where that need for that skill kind of definitely arose. And so uh, uh, ask questions, curate their sources. And man, guys, like an interesting skill that I didn't really um, think too much that was going to be necessary was just this idea of having a conversation with like an informed uh, uh, expert about their questions um, for young people. It just doesn't happen a lot. There's not a lot of experience with it. So I've really enjoyed my students developing this skill, like working on how to do oral history inter interviews. They, they didn't even have to do perfect, and that's okay, right? Even kind of mess up a little bit and think about, oh, I wish I would have asked this, or I wish I would have done this. 
And I think ultimately that's what this project's been for me is every single student, regardless of where they are. Uh, I've had freshmen do this. I've had seniors do this and everywhere uh, in between. That's kind of what we've been engaged in too, those three steps, curiosity, curating, oral history interviews. And then the, the, the last thing is this share what you learn kind of stage, which we're about to be a little bit more engaged in. Awesome. Can you talk a little bit about um, some of the rewards or the benefits of completing a public history project? Mm. One of the first things that comes comes up is this idea of isolation. That can be such a huge, uh, a huge issue, whether or not we reflect on it or not, uh, for for rural teachers. And so, um, the the NCHE, this Library of Congress experience, has really um, helped me connect with my people, <laughs> right? Folks that kind of have some shared values that that understand better than most the unique challenges that we face as rural history teachers. Um, and some of the ideas and decisions I'm making have really been ones that have I've been hearing other people experience and, and kind of bouncing ideas off of them. So just access to other folks that are like me, that's not something that uh, folks with uh, with my existence get too much. You know, we don't have uh, regular department meetings, you know, with other history, history kind of folks, and, and especially in with ones that understand this kind of setting. And one more, another reward and benefit is um, just how this whole project has been more than history. Watching some of my students engage in this work, um, maybe we could just say this, this would all be good work for like adulting kind of skills. You know, some of the things that they've had to uh, just figure out how to do um, things I like, like I wrote a couple of lists on here, like communicating, managing your time, um, citizenship, embracing obstacles, uh, uh, being okay that you're in the weeds, you know, and just staying with something and figuring things out. Uh, my my wife, Jess, as an art teacher, is a huge inspiration. I keep reflecting on how she teaches and the orientation of her class. And perhaps we should do history in this same manner, right? Uh, not so much as like a predefined lesson with these objectives, but as problems to solve. Uh, as problems to solve and like just kind of asking questions that could take us anywhere and letting myself be okay with that. Absolutely. I, that's so exciting to hear you talk about all the different ways that this project expands yeah. outside of yeah. um, the initial bounds. Um, but also on the flip side, you're working with students, you're creating a podcast, you're working with a lot of community partners. What are some of the challenges of completing this public history project? Um, yeah, I, I feel like I could write uh, a book about this, too. And I really want to be someone that um, people could say, man, if this guy can do it, we can do it. Uh, because maybe he's made about as every, eh, I want to say mistake, but wrong turn or eh, maybe not do it like this. Um, so so some of those some of those challenges uh, we mentioned before, just where and how to position this work. I think um, doing this out of a, of a history club and attracting some students that have an aptitude for this thing certainly has its advantages. And I, I've, I've just had a couple of students I knew wouldn't be able to uh, participate in this if I didn't situate it out of a history club. And our history club is also great because it's been just a great connector to other places. But boy, I also do have some other just kind of, oh, gen ed sort of students that, um, you know, it's really hitting me that they need an opportunity like this too. And so that's something I'm kind of thinking about, but it's been a challenge of just where to do this work with how limited everybody's time is, right? Especially educators. Um, how to get like community people to uh, also just help prioritize the work of history, right? You know, I, I definitely have felt overwhelmed with support and surrounded myself with some folks um, that, that do prioritize the work of history. But I've also had this sort of shared understanding of their frustration, of their constant work to just uh, whether you know, they have to keep the lights on at their organization if they um, 
um, constantly reach out to the public. And I've been very much inspired by that, but also reflective of, man, that is a challenge because we don't automatically do this work or elevate work like this. And then one one more is uh, what I'm hopefully demonstrating now is just being a guy that's trying to transform like my own history classroom into a place that's uh, uh, where we can do history, not just learn, you know, trivia of history, but what can my class just be transformed to actually look like a place that just invites us to go to places we don't know that's where we're going to go follow our curiosity um solve problems that we didn't know we were going to have to solve you know so just kind of transforming that's a pretty dramatic transformation and it's definitely messy but but that's okay that's okay with that you know what advice would you give to teachers Mm. who might want to embark on a similar project or in a similar way by working with students yeah. in a club and outside yeah. the classroom? Um, definitely embrace embrace the mess. That That's my advice. It's exciting. It, it, it's, I think it, we can't afford to not teach like this, right? Um, and whatever we would define this this as is a great, a great conversation. Uh, but embrace the mess, but definitely don't even think about doing it alone, right? Lighten your load. That, that's been the joy of this too, is once I've connected students with outside our classroom, man, some real learning has taken place, just some natural uh, curiosity and things that will come out of students that, um, that, that you didn't, didn't quite anticipate for. Um, and I do hate, I hate the perception that sometimes we can give one another in teaching that, that, oh, look at, look at Mr. Brewer here. He's doing all these crazy things and he must be burnt out. And that's just not the case. The best thing is, is including other people, uh, giving students their own space to kind of work on some things. And so um, if I'm doing this right, right, I'm just that facilitator. I'm just creating, designing the the environment and, and um, everything else is taking care of itself. So that's the goal here. But again, embrace the mess and do not even try to do stuff like this alone. That's my advice. <laughs> Great. Um, finally, your students are, as you mentioned, creating a podcast. Uh, and you mm. mentioned the website earlier, but when can we listen to those? And uh when will that be shared? We've got about seven, maybe eight episodes and about five of them are ready to go. Um, gosh, tell you, that's a great question. I didn't even think about that, but maybe can I just say like a general couple weeks? <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that that podcast editing can definitely be um, um, a chore. And so yeah. in the in the future, um, my wife, Jess, teaches like tech classes and we've talked about ways that we can get students involved and doing doing that we are not there yet so i'm doing all the the editing and um you know kind of cleaning up as best i can and i'm do not proclaim to be an expert i am just a product of good people i found around me and those are that's another community partner that i didn't anticipate mentioning but our we have a tech director who is a podcast guru and my wife jess is you know has that master's in instructional design so i'm really just a product of people around me and that's probably the definition of my whole life. I'm a product of just so been fortunate to be around some really good people. Thank you so much to Joe Brewer for giving us a sneak peek into his creative process. Stay tuned to hear a clip from Oral History of Forgottonia, Experiencing a Rural School Closure, Cooper Leonard's interview with retired principal Daryl Coleman. Uh, what do you know about the history of the rural schools in this area that were forced to close down? Well, coincidentally, I happen to have been involved with one of the schools that closed down. Um, the Smithfield School, um, I actually was elementary principal for two years in that school before. Oh, you were? 
yeah, before it closed down. Um, I was Smith, I was principal there and Cuba Elementary both, so I kind of had to travel back and forth, which amounted to about oh, seven miles or so. I was never in the right place at the right time. <laughs> if something happened in Smithfield, I wasn't there. If something happened in Cuba, I wasn't there. Um, but after about after the second year, the school board decided that they needed to do something because the, the enrollment had gone down so much mm-hmm. at school. So they switched and had K-1, 2, 3 at the Cuba Elementary Building and 4 and 5 at the Smithfield School. So we bust all of the fourth and fifth graders out to the Smithfield School, yeah, and vice versa with K through K through three. That lasted one year. Um, I mean, I can see why that might the, it wouldn't <laughs> seem very optimal. Well, and the pa- the parents weren't particularly happy with it. Um, the kids adjusted pretty well because you know they were with their friends anyway. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you will also listen to other teachers, community partners, and students as they share their impressive public history projects that connect students with their community's history. You can find all the stories on our website at nchieteach.org. This podcast has been produced by Regina Holland, Program Manager at National Council for History Education, and Talia Smith, the Teaching with Primary Sources intern at the Library of Congress. NCHE is a proud member of the Library of Congress's Teaching with Primary Sources Consortium. This podcast contains samples of Bulldoze Blues by Eleanor Ellis and Henry Thomas. It was retrieved by Deanne Arthur and Rick Arthur via the collection of Music Box Project materials found at the Archive of Folk Culture American Folklife Center at the Library of Congress. It can also be found on the Citizen DJ website. Last but certainly not least, thank you so much to all of the teachers, community partners, and students who participated in the creation of this podcast. Until next time.